Chapter 8 The Tunnels of Larsic. The tunnels of Larsic are a long series of tunnels started by volcanic activity and then furthered by the efforts of dwarven miners. It sprawls out under the mountains of Dwi, connecting the kingdom of Bursch to the land of Kelsic near the river Frisk. The tunnels haven't been used for a few hundred years after the collapse of many of the tunnels resulting in an enormous cavern under the mountains. From Bursch, the capital of its kingdom, to Cortesh, the capital city of the elves in the land of Kelsic, is a long trek, Jantis, Fadar explains. One that can be made faster if we go through the frigid mountains of Dwi, then down the valleys of the dwarves, and through the many forests of Kelsic. We'll be traversing through their many rivers and towns before reaching their destination. It's not the towns and valleys that worry me, the small gnome reasons. You've all heard the stories, right? Everyone except Fadar and Than shakes his head no. Wolves that tower over the tallest of men, birds, and swoop down, snatching anything that moves, including the wolves I just mentioned. It isn't safe. We should take the long way through the marshes and across the bridge of Atendre. That could take weeks, Than expresses. We are of the utmost haste. We don't have the luxury nor time to go that way. Not to mention, these are horses of Bursch. They'd be easily recognized, so we can't go beyond Bursch with them. By orders of Bursch, we're not to allow anyone to know of our mission for fear it could jeopardize or even terminate it by those who would see it fail. And Eastern Bursch is no ally to anyone. Reuben and the girls may be allowed to pass, but anyone of another race would likely be executed on the spot. Our mission is to make an alliance between the elves of Kelsic and the kingdom of Bursch and discover a means to stop the invading goblins and merfolk. We cannot accomplish this if we are dead, Jantis, Fedor reminds his fellow gnome. I know, I'd just feel safer if we had a dwarven escort of guards or anything to protect us. Reuben gasps in shock. You mean to say Than and I are not enough? He asks teasingly. Not against a pack of Han wolves. Tatiana pipes up. Reuben and Than laugh to themselves. Three more days pass before they come upon the small town of Crestville, near the base of the mountains of Dewey, home of the mountain dwarves. It is a quaint town, businesses and homes forming two parallel lines with a single road heading straight toward the mountains. As a group, they make their way through the town. Reuben and Than take up the rear of the group, watching everything they can. Than stops, directing Reuben's attention to a recently deceased guard. Quickly, the quiet little town of Crestville becomes an eerie town on the verge of ruin. I'll kill you, brat! A thief yells as he chases a child from a home of broken doors and windows. Quickly, Beth and Tatiana unmount their steeds, rushing into battle. Unsheathing their dual swords, Beth darts toward the bandit, swiftly overtaking him and overwhelming his poor defenses. Two more men dart toward their fellow thief. Swiftly, Tatiana leaps forward, drawing her aiming sword and disarming the two other thieves with remarkable speed. A fourth thief steps out into the open, a massive battle axe in his right hand. His cloak hides his face, but his stature is intimidating enough to scare any man from a fight. Beth drags the thief she caught to one of the buildings. Then, using his own daggers, pins both sleeves to the wall, leaving the thief unconscious and pinned. 
Turning to her right, she faces the massive thief as Tatiana continues to deal with the other two thieves. Than goes to jump from his horse, but is stopped by Reuben. What are you doing? he asks. Reuben gestures for him to look more closely. They got this. No need for us to get involved. If two traveling girls beat them, they may leave the town alone. If two soldiers of Birch beat them, they'll just think it was a fluke. We haven't been spotted yet. Let's stay back so we aren't. Fadar looks up at the young man with a smile, realizing once again why the council has agreed to send him along. A massive axe cleaves through the dusty air as Beth falls to her knees, letting it slide over her inches from her chest. Snapping back up, she closes the distance between her and the bandit and kicks his knee. The man chuckles with confidence, that won't work on me, sweetheart. In fact, I think you'll make a fine slave with that kind of spark. Beth grits her teeth. Trust me, it worked. What? The bandit asks as Tatiana comes flying at his head, smashing into it with her shield. Hitting the ground with a loud thud, the massive man lies unconscious in the middle of the road. By the time Than and Reuben finally arrive, the fight is already won. Standing in awe at the speed of these two young girls, they are left with nothing to do but tie up the criminals, leaving them for the people to deal with. Speaking with the residents of Crestville, Jantus does his best to ascertain any information that could be deemed useful for their trek across the mountains. Using his skills as courier gnome, he is hopeful as he learns of a few possible routes to cross the mountains. So you mean there's a tunnel system that goes straight under the mountains of Dwee and into the land of Kelsic? Jantus asks the storekeeper as Tatiana purchases some needed supplies. Yes, but I do not know how safe it is to travel, he answers. Tatiana reaches into her pocket and pulls out the silver and copper coins she has, each piece of value with a different creature of Birch on its face. Twelve pieces, right? For what you did this morning for our people by stopping those accursed thieves, it's free, the storekeeper responds with a smile. It was the least we could do as servants of Birch, Tatiana replies with a bow. Is there any more you can tell me about these tunnels? Jantus asks. Or is there another way to Kelsic? I'm afraid that until winter, no one except the dwarves dare to cross for fear of the Han wolves. To cross over the mountains now would be suicide. The storekeeper pauses for a moment, thinking about his next words carefully so as to be as helpful as possible. But I must warn you, I do not know much of these tunnels, not even their name. Yet rumor has it even more terrifying than the wolves dwells in those tunnels. A beast? Jantus asks, instantly trembling at the thought. So I've been told. They're also quite long, four to five days of travel by foot. That's a long time to see no sunlight. But five days is much quicker than the two weeks it would take to cross over the mountains, Tatiana points out. Why are you trying to cross over the mountains of Dwee anyways? The storekeeper asks curiously. Jantus leans in toward the man in secrecy. I... Jantus takes a deep gulp, clearing his throat. The man leans in closer, waiting for a taste of the secret this gnome holds. I don't actually know myself, Jantus answers with an innocent smile. The man shakes his head as a smile brightens his face. You're going on a suicide mission, but have no idea what for. The man laughs loudly before regaining his composure. Well, I wish you fortune on your journey. Thank you, Jantus exclaims with a bow as he hops off the counter and onto the wood-planked floor below.
Reaching Fadar and the other three, Jantis explains their predicament. It is agreed upon that the six of them would attempt to take the tunnels and hopefully find a guide to show them the way. Departing from Crestville, they continue north until reaching the base of the mountain range following it east toward the mysterious tunnels and passing through a few more towns on the way. Each town they stop at holds more information on the tunnels than the last. But still, no one is found willing to traverse it with them. It's not until the town of Odell, 13 hours west of the tunnels, that they meet a dwarf who is inclined to take them. A lumberjack by trade, he has crossed over from a town on the other side of the mountains by use of the tunnels of Larsic, and is now looking to return the same way. Carson, is it? Fadar asks. Yes, sir, he responds. Would you do us the honor of escorting us through the... The tunnels of Larsic, Carson repeats. Yes, the tunnels of Larsic? Standing at about four feet four, Carson is a bit taller than Than. He carries a pack with a variety of gear in it, including a hatchet, a flintlock pistol, a bundle of maps, along with a few other essentials. His attire is akin to that of most mountain dwarves, simple but neat clothing and a wool vest, while also sporting a soft brim leather hat and a pair of spectacles hanging from his neck. I suppose I could be your docent, Carson answers coolly. Beth leans over to her sister, what did he say? Pretty sure he meant he'd guide us through the caves, Reuben answers instead. Does anybody speak with acuity anymore? I am afraid it is not as common practice as one would hope, Fadar agrees. I suggest we leave for the tunnels at Dayspring. Beth leans over to Reuben. Sunrise, he interprets. Sunrise? I can't wake up that early, Beth exclaims. Don't worry, I'll carry you in my arms if you aren't awake yet, Reuben offers smoothly. Okay. Beth replies, looking away with a smile. Tatiana rolls her eyes. We'll leave when everyone is up, as we always do. She stresses her eyes, pointing fiercely toward Reuben. Better get up at sunrise then, princess. Reuben looks at Tatiana. Think you can do that, Beth? He continues. I suppose so, she replies, already tired from the idea. Then I guess it's settled, Reuben states before going into his tent. Yet, to Tatiana and Carson's dismay, they were the only two to actually get up and be ready to go by sunrise. Instead, Reuben lies there listening from inside his tent, smiling at Carson and Tatiana sat outside in awkward silence. Neither of them seemed to be upset over the matter, just a bit impatient. Beth was surprisingly third to get up, freaking out when she noticed her sister and their stuff was missing from the tent. Upon hearing Beth awaken, Reuben also got up, feigning tiredness despite being quite awake. Good morning, Reuben offers, forcing a yawn. Hope everyone slept well, he finishes, smiling deviously. Howdy, Carson replies, a bit irritated at the soldier's tardiness. You said sunrise. Sunrise was a few hours ago, Tatiana brings to attention. But you said when everyone was up and ready. I thought that's what we agreed upon, Reuben asks slyly. You know we didn't, Tatiana states profusely. Well, Fadar is still asleep, is he not? And Beth seems to be well-rested, aren't you? I'm not sure I want to be a part of this, but I do feel well-rested. Beth looks over at her sister, offering an innocent smile. See? All is well, Reuben shrugs. I meant to inquire something of you. Carson looks at Reuben, Tatiana, and then Beth. All right, go ahead, Reuben allows. Why do you seek to travel through the tunnels of the land of Kelsic? As far as I know, the elves aren't very fond of any of the other races except the peaceful valley dwarfs, Carson asks. 
Tatiana and Beth eye Reuben as they fear he will condemn the mission. Reuben pauses for a moment, thinking, Can I trust you? I am not one to be long-winded or offer information to just anyone, Carson responds. Well, the truth is, these two girls are looking for their father. Reuben cups his hand around his mouth and softly speaks. They hate to admit it, but they're both half-valley dwarfs on their father's side. We are not, Beth yells, throwing a pine cone at him. Well, you're both short enough, Reuben disagrees as he dodges another cone. I am a good foot taller than a dwarf, Beth elaborates. Really, stand next to Carson. I want to see this, Reuben asks, smirking. I will not, Beth exclaims, throwing yet another pine cone at him. Carson and Tatiana just sit there, shaking their heads at the two. Twelve days after they left Birsh, and now here, they are finally arriving at the entrance of the tunnels. Altogether, taking them just under two weeks of traveling by horse, 230 miles north and then 270 east toward the River Freesk, and the mouth to reach the tunnels of Larsic. These two weeks have helped the group to become quite knowledgeable of their companions' quirks and abilities. Trust is beginning to build between them, and now with a guide, hope is at its peak. With a full 13 hours of the day's journey behind them, they finally arrive at the mysterious tunnels of Larsic. One might be expecting to find a hidden entrance to this well-known, never-traveled cave system, but no. Instead, they find the cave open and easily seen. The mouth of the cave opens wide with stalactites and stalagmites, making the mouth appear as that of a monster and not a cave. An eerie darkness surrounds the cave, making it seem as an endless abyss. The wind's breeze wails with a scream as it passes by the cave. With the early night approaching, it's a wonder no mysterious beast comes rushing out to greet them. The now seven travelers stare into the darkness of the cave, feeling as if they look away something would reach out and snatch them from existence. A deep emptiness engulfs them and the fear of death reaches toward them. Well. I can understand why people don't use this cave often, Than expresses, staring into the menacing mouth of the tunnels. Why does the mouth of the tunnel look like a Gallagher's mouth? Not very appetizing, if you ask me, Reuben adds, commenting on the many stalactites at the tunnel's entrance. Beth smirks at the comment. So why are we going in there? Tatiana petitions, showing an obvious fear of what lies inside. The path before us is never straight, but every now and then we find ourselves with two paths that lead to the same destination, Fadar pauses for effect, and this one is quicker. But there might be monsters in there, Jantus points out. That's why we have a guide, Jantus, Reuben adds, so the monsters eat him first. I know of no such beasts in there, Carson assures Jantus. Then why are there so few people experienced with traveling through the tunnels of Larsic? Jantus asks. That's a good question, Tatiana agrees worriedly. Come on, it can't be that bad. It just looks frightening, Beth offers, trying to raise morale. Or maybe a giant man-eating spider lives in there, just waiting to poison all of us to death, one by one, slowly and painfully, before sucking out the fluids from our rotting corpses, Reuben tries to scare the two. Not funny, Tatiana whines as Jantus jumps in her arms and nuzzles himself against her chest plate. Than gasps in disbelief and jealousy of the gnome, to which Tatiana sticks out her tongue in return, knowing full well the dwarf's unwholesome thoughts. I have confidence our guide will get us through safely, Fadar assures them. Me too, Than agrees. Reuben just smiles, looking at Carson. Yeah, Carson responds shortly. 
He wasn't being honest with something, and Reuben feared it may cost them. Let's get some rest. If we had started earlier as we discussed, we could have started into the tunnels, but at this rate, it'd be all for naught if we did. We are all too tired from the day's arduous journey, Carson continues. You sure there are no giant beasts down in the tunnels? Reuben questions Carson. It is always a possibility. However, as that it is spring and the Han wolves are lurking about hungry from their winter slumber, I do surmise that it would be most advantageous to our own lives if we avoid them altogether, Carson reassures them. He pauses, looking down at an old worn scroll. The most hazardous part of the tunnels of Larsic is getting lost, but since I have a cartogram of the area, we have no need to agonize. Not to mention, we have two dwarves with us who can see in the blackest of nights, so we'll keep you safe, Than adds, putting his arm around Carson. Eh, Carson grunts in irritation. I'd prefer if you didn't put your arm on me, he adds. Than just laughs until he has his arm forcibly removed. My mind is decided. The tunnels of Larsic we will take, Fadar states. Reuben and Than help Carson set up camp. Yes, sir, they answer him. But it's only a few hours past noon, Beth questions Fadar, as she looks into the sky at the position of the sun. Rest today, so we are well rested for tomorrow, he answers. Oh, that makes sense, Beth replies. If we had left at dayspring, we would be traversing the tunnels already, Carson mumbles to himself, strangely impatient. We've traveled for thirteen hours. That is long enough, Fadar assures the group. We'll begin tomorrow. While the three young men, Carson, Reuben, and Than, were setting up camp, Beth and Tatiana duel as to keep themselves sharp and ready for battle. The two girls battle fiercely, evenly matched, blocking blow for blow, neither one able to get an edge on the other. These two sisters stood together, equally matched in skill and speed. After the three of them finish setting up and the girls are warmed up from practicing, Reuben and Than decide to join in on the duels. Reuben sets his crossbow down, knowing it'd be frowned upon to shoot arrows at his melee opponent. Grabbing his short sword, Reuben enters the fray with Than and his shield and axe closely behind him. Mind if we join? Than asks, brimming with confidence. Only if you think you can stand up to the challenge, shorty, Tatiana replies, happy to have a change in opponent. Guess that leaves us, Beth realizes, smiling stupidly at the ground. Guess so, Reuben concurs. But let's wait and watch their fight first. You'll never improve if you don't study how other opponents handle themselves in battle. Okay, Beth agrees, kicking the dirt a little, then looking up at him as he focuses on the fight. Tatiana slides her sword through her shield's handle. Aiming the shield down, she rolls toward Than. In a single fluid motion, she leaps toward her opponent, drawing her sword from her shield. Taken off guard, Than has little time to think and takes the full brunt of the sword with his shield. Tatiana, smiling with delight, then slams her shield into the left side of his face, a move that would render most opponents unconscious, but as a dwarf, Than is more than sturdy enough to take it. Than smiles in return, unfazed, sweeping his axe under her. He sends her hurtling to the ground with a thud. He then swings his axe, trying to pin her down, but she dodges just in the nick of time. Eagerly, Than throws his axe at her, forgetting in the moment that they were only practicing. Fortunately, Tatiana lifts her shield just in time to find his axe lodged into it and the charging dwarf in front of her. Picking her up, Than slams her into a tree, knocking the wind out of her. As she falls, gasping for air, Than stands over her, his axe hovering over throat. 
down, he shouts, laughing loudly. Tatiana angrily gets up, storming over to where Fadar, Jantis, and Carson are watching from. Throwing her shield and sword down on the ground, she then sits next to them, crossing her arms. Fadar looks over to his daughter. Do you know what you did wrong, child? I lost, she responds, pouting. You put all your money on taking me out with one punch. Dwarves are much more sturdy than that, Than explains, sitting next to her. Precisely. You didn't know your opponent's weak spot, and you didn't have a secondary plan. Dwarves are heavy and stocky. Push and pull movements throw them off balance, but not when they are from the side. Try hitting him head on next time, but have another plan ready, Fadar explains. So if I would have hit him straight on instead of from the side, Tatiana asks him, that definitely would have done more, Than laughs. You ready, Elizabeth? Reuben asks as they take their stances a few meters apart. He stands tall, arms crossed, short sword at his side. Beth stands, ready, hand on each sword, hunching over slightly as if a panther ready to pounce. My friends call me Beth, she responds. That's nice. Maybe I'll call you Toad instead for the spring in your step, he suggests in return. No, I hate frogs, she exclaims. Not frog, Toad. No, they're both gross. So when are you two going to stop talking and fight? Than yells from the sidelines. Just then, Beth rushes forward, swords drawn, causing Than to laugh. She's already lost. What? How do you figure? Tatiana asks as Reuben dodges a strike, catching the backside of Beth's left sword and throwing her forward. He saw how she fought against the thieves. He never loses to an opponent once he knows how they fight, Than replies as Beth catches herself and turns around to face Reuben. Regaining her determination, she rushes forward and again attempts to strike at her opponent. This time, Reuben pulls out his short sword and, with precision, blocks both of hers. Then, with a swift, powerful kick to her chestplate, he sends her toppling backwards. Quickly getting back up, she faces Reuben again, undaunted. The girls of Dace are going to score at least one win today, she exclaims, rushing forward. So have you learned anything yet? Reuben inquires of her. What? Beth stops a few yards from him. You've tried the same thing twice, and I've evaded and blocked it. What's the next step? Beth pauses, thinking of his past training and how her father used to teach them. Wishing he was there to teach her and Tatiana again, she answers, I guess I shouldn't rely on my speed alone, with some hesitation. Not quite, Reuben admits. Pondering further, Beth comes up with another answer. Less hesitation? Every move can be an attack. Stop thinking about your next move. You plan your first attack, but the rest should come as natural movement. Only think when on the defensive. Okay, I'll try, Beth hesitates. Beth rushes toward him for a fourth time, stopping right in front of him. She jabs at him. Reuben dodges once again, turning to the side just to find Beth's right sword closely following him. Catching him off guard, he quickly blocks with his sword. Then Beth's left blade goes in for the strike. Reuben, no longer off guard, whirls himself around, throwing her off balance and into the distance. Sliding to a stop, she turns with her sword, leading her way, expecting to find Reuben in front of her. Reuben comes up from behind her instead and attempts to hold her down using both his arms. Realizing he was behind her, she ducks and rolls forward as Reuben grabs at air. Quickly, Beth pivots her foot, sweeping her leg through Reuben's, but instead comes to a dead stop. If not, for the protection her gladiator sandals provide, being made out of garvin roots, she'd probably be reeling in pain right now. 
Pushing herself away, Reuben marches menacingly toward her, his short sword scraping at the ground as he nears. Scuttering backward, Beth falls flat on her back and in that moment realizes her fate. Reuben has been toying with her, and even when she caught him off guard, his skill was so far ahead of hers. It took little effort on his part to regain control. Tatiana stands up, interrupting the fight. I'll face you next. As you wish, Reuben responds slyly, helping Beth up as she leaves the fight in her sister's hands. Don't kill him, T, please. Beth petitions, trying to feign confidence in her sister's unlikely triumph. I plan on only killing his ego, she states with a smile before rushing him with sword and shield ready. Reuben just barely turns around before noticing the headstrong girl close by. Quickly, he moves to the side, effortlessly dodging her blade and sticks his foot out. As she continues forward, her foot meets his and she faceplants on the ground. Irritation fills her and she forces herself up only to find his blade looking down upon her. You're both good, but Than here is a warrior's son trained from birth, Reuben adds, and I've been fighting to live since I could crawl. All that stands before her was a frightening warrior of the Bursh kingdom. Getting back up, she focuses on what Than was saying before. Reuben has seen her fight the thieves and then against Than, so nothing she has used before would work on him now. Thinking back to her father's teaching, she remembers him saying, There will be a time when you face an opponent with more skill than you. When that happens, your only chance of winning is a strong defense and an unorthodox offense. Can I try again? Tatiana asks kindly, a surprising change of attitude. If you want to, Reuben allows. Reuben again stands there, crossing his arms and leaving his sword sheathed partway in the ground before him. Tatiana begins circling him, something he is unfamiliar with her doing. Immediately, he realizes his situation. She was attempting to do something unfamiliar to him. Reuben's relaxed nature swiftly changes to a more tense and defensive one as he pulls his sword from the dirt. Than's eyes widen as he sees Reuben's expression change from confident to cautious. Just then, Tatiana disappears from his view. Reuben turns around with post-haste and she's gone. Using her speed, Tatiana circles him and as she begins to turn around, she stops, running in the opposite direction while staying out of view. As she leaps into the air, Reuben realizes what she is doing and immediately jabs his elbow behind him. Tatiana narrowly escapes as his elbow breezes by her face, his sword sweeping through the air toward her. Blocking with her shield, she is thrown off balance by the sheer force that hits her by the one-handed blow. Without a moment's notice, Tatiana is spun around and pushed forward, hitting the ground in front of her. She almost got you, Than stands up yelling from among the crowd of Fadar, Jantis, Carson, and Beth. Tatiana stumbles forward, I surrender, she admits humbly. Both of you are impressive warriors, but you lack determination. You're too afraid to kill, Reuben states, his eyes emotionless and cold, as if he were ready to kill. As Reuben marches away, Tatiana is left there, lying confused, but glad that Than and Reuben were on their side. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Azerus, Dragonborn, written by Corey E. Slane. If you like this content, consider buying a physical copy on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can become a supporter 
support the podcast with a small monthly donation to sustain future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next time for more chapters of The Legend of Azarus, Dragonborn.